Kia ora team and welcome to the Beyond the Surface podcast. My name's Noah Willoff and on today's episode, I'm joined by TJ Pedanara. What an opportunity to sit down with TJ to really understand who the person is that we usually see on the TV screen leading the haka for the All Blacks. Throughout this episode, we really dive deep into who TJ Pedanara is and what are the key moments in his life that has shaped him to be the person that he is today. Overall, one of my favourite interviews on the podcast to date, so I really hope you enjoy it. As always, if you are enjoying the podcast and enjoying the content, please make sure that you follow us on Spotify and rate us five stars. It goes a massive way with the algorithm. Thanks so much for everyone's support, guys. Really appreciate it. Welcome to episode number 21. Absolutely stoked to, to have you on the podcast. I know you're, you're a local Porirua boy, same as myself. So for those people who might not know of you, do you mind just introducing yourself, brother? Yeah, bro. Um, I'm TJ Pedanara, uh, born and bred, bred in uh, Porirua. Um, my whānau is actually from Matata, so we're in Ngatirangatihi. Um, that's where um, my dad's family's from. Uh, and then my mum's family, she's from Porirua. She's been in the Bay her whole life. Uh, and I was I was brought up in the Bay too, so it's home for me. Uh, I love it here, um, and I'm proud of Porirua. That's epic, bro. And coming from Porirua, because you went to Mana College, yeah, correct? What was it like for you growing up in Porirua? Because I feel like a lot of people, you know, I went to Altair College. There's this for people maybe living in town or even the mindset of people living in our city can be quite self-deprecating at times. So just really keen to understand that from you. You know, did you ever see being from Porirua as a barrier to you? Um, I never really saw it as a barrier myself, but I think you're right. Um, People do almost look down on Porirua. Mm. And I remember being younger and people would say, oh, yeah, like, oh, he's from Porirua, or they're from Porirua, like Mana College, when we went and um, played other teams or whatever, they'd be like, oh, that's a Porirua team, and almost had some sort of um, belief about where we were from meant we must have been a certain way. Mm. Um, so I, I understand that that um, perception was out there. I understand it's probably still out there as well. Um, people look at Porirua in a certain light, but I've always been super proud of Porirua, and I remember people saying when I was younger too, um, Oh, if you make rugby or if you yeah, become an all-black or whatever, um, you'll be able to get out of Porirua. Um And I was like, that, that never really sat well with me. Like, mm. I'm, I'm so proud of where I'm from that I think the reason that I can achieve and the reason that I am who I am is because of Porirua. So, um, yeah, that's my mindset mm. on anyway. 100%. And growing up in, uh, like, Titahi Bay, was there opportunities when you were playing for Mana College with rugby? Because... We saw a lot of people at Altair College, you know, you get scholarships to go play for Scots or um, some of those bigger Wellington schools. Did you, because you stayed until year 13 at Mana College, was that like a conscious decision for you to to stay in Porirua rather than go to one of those town schools for rugby? Yeah, it was. Um, My parents always said, like, it doesn't matter where you're from, if you're good enough, you can make it. And I think we were very fortunate um, when I was playing at Mana College. We, we had like a pretty decent team. I think we went to three or four finals in a row. Um, the one finals, we lost all of them to Cole, unfortunately. Ah, tough. <laughs> but like, but we, had good, we had a good team and we had a good system going there. Uh, and for us um, to be playing at such a high level um, for those years um, was something we were really proud of. So um, on the one hand, yes, my parents always said to me, like I said, that if you're good enough, you'll make it from wherever you are. Mm. Um, but also the group of boys that we had um, playing at that time, like we, we were pretty solid. Mm, that's awesome, man. And um, if we can sort of just rewind a bit as well into your journey, actually first discovering sport, what yeah. was that like? Do you, you come from quite a sporting family as well, don't you? Yeah, I do. Um, both my parents played um, software at a reasonably high level. Um, both represented our country, which is um, pretty cool. Um, and I, I just always love sport. Like my family, um, very competitive family, um, whether it's backyard cricket, touch, um, softball, whatever we did, um, everything was a, a competition. So I, I always loved that. I always loved um, being out and trying to, to win yeah. effectively, whether it was a solo game or, or a team sport. Um, so I, I fell in love with that competition from a young age and um, just always wanted to be a part of something where I was competing. Mm, that's awesome, bro. Was there lots of like trash talking and stuff growing up within the family? <laughs> yeah, there was lots of trash talk. <laughs> Probably a bit much to be fair. Like some people would come over 
and it would be too much for them. They'd be like, man, yeah. what's this? Like, what am I walking into? We're playing backyard cricket, and we would play backyard cricket for like 10 hours. Far out. Like, proper, like, we'd have test matches <laughs> of backyard cricket, and we wouldn't finish until like someone had won. Like, yeah. there was no. Um, oh yeah, we just finished now. Yeah. And like everyone would walk off. Like if we had set a game to go, we would play until that game had finished. True. And, like didn't matter how long that took. So um, people, like I say, got overwhelmed by that sometimes. That's so funny. I think, um, yeah, the trash talk and the bragging rights within the family aid eh, that really drives like a big competitive advantage. I think growing up. It does, bro. And I used to get um, told that I was a sore loser in that growing up because I was so passionate about yeah. winning and. I knew what came with losing in, um, in my family environment. So um, it probably worked for me in some things, but then in some places it works against me as well. Totally. Um, and when did you get to the position, bro, where you came to a cro- – because obviously playing, <laughs> playing rugby throughout your teenage years, when was the decision point where you thought, okay, I, I, I want to I build this into a career and really you know, put all of my eggs in one basket when it comes to rugby? Ooh, I would have been – Maybe 15, I remember. Uh, softball was my number one sport. Like, I loved playing softball, um, and I was, I was okay at softball too. I was probably better at softball than I was at rugby. Mm. And I remember talking to Dad about it, and he was like, you can do whatever you want. Like, he didn't care. He just um, – the big thing with my parents, they just wanted me to be a good person first mm. and foremost. So he didn't care whether I played rugby, whether I played softball, whether I didn't play anything at all. Um, but what he did say is he played softball for New Zealand, and he understood that – there was no career out of it. Like, you couldn't play softball for a living mm. and, um, yeah, uh, yeah, make a career out of it effectively mm. uh, at that point. Uh, but with rugby, you could. So, uh, for me, I wanted to play sport for a living. I, I love competing, like I've already said. Um, and rugby was something that could provide that for me. So, around that age, uh, when I was okay at both of those sports, I really started to commit to, um, to rugby. Uh, one of my best mates, um, Terence Hipitema, uh, him and I were very competitive together, but like our training ethics were really high as well. So we both just decided, man, we're going to really give this a go. And we started to see results of like putting in extra work, whether it was in the gym, schoolwork, fitness work, um, that we were starting to become better than like the players we were playing with. And mm. I think I got addicted to that. Eh? Like the the feeling that I got from like seeing the results that I was putting in mm. um, on the field. Well, putting the results that I was putting in the from the work that I was putting in off the field, mm. like really um, having an impact on the field, like that really drove me, and like I wanted that, and even mm. to this day, like that feeling of like, man, if I work harder than these people, yeah, and I get this reward on the field from it, it's it's a feeling like like no other really for me. Yeah, and I've <laughs> heard some other interviews that you've done where when other teams might be playing rugby, or you know, you're waking up really early, and you know that. When you're training, other people aren't training? Yeah, bro. Is that yeah. a part of your sort of psyche when you are sort of building up those skills? Is it like, I- I'm going to be working while you guys aren't, while you're sleeping? Yeah, it is. Like, I, I still um, live by that today. Well, I try to get up before everyone else so that I can train because I understand that other people aren't training at those times. And I train by myself a lot too, especially in the off-season. Not because I want to train by myself, but because... I know if I am training by myself, then it's a high likelihood that mm. this other person isn't training. They're not uh, putting in the work that I'm putting in. And when I was younger, um, like a test match would be on or a Super Rugby game would be on, and I would go and train at that time because in my mind, I would think, yeah, even though those guys are playing and they're where I want to be now, they're not doing like True. this training right now. Yeah, and I, yeah. I felt that as a win, even though that they were in the position that I wanted to be in, mm. I felt... It's an opportunity for me to work harder than them, even though that they're playing. And because in my mind, I was like, there's only 23 players or 22 players at that time um, that are playing at the moment. There's other people in that environment who are just sitting down watching that game. Mm. And so I thought to myself, like, yes, those guys are playing, but I can be training while these guys who are on the bench or, or are not in the 23 that week, I'm putting in more work than them, which should give me their job one day. Mm, that's, that's such an awesome mindset, bro. Do you follow <laughs> much of like David Goggins? I've read his book. Well, I listened to his audio book and yeah. I've listened to a few podcasts and that of him. So I'm like aware of his stuff and I'm not like, um, I don't live and die by his stuff, mm. but I am a fan of his, man. It just reminds me of some like, who's going to carry the boats? Yeah, yeah, bro, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's pretty crazy. Eh? Some of the stuff that he's done and things that he's achieved, like he's gone to the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Bro. 
and just like he's just so consistent in what he does, man. It is it is crazy. I get, had had a shot doing his uh, Goggins challenge last year. Oh yeah. So when you run, it's four miles, so six point four k every four hours for forty eight hours. You did it. Yeah, did, did last year was a bit of a fundraiser to raise wow. money for this boy called Otis who yeah. has got like stage four cancer oh, and wow. to it's help awesome, get him bro. surgery costs. But yeah, yeah it's um. It's rough. It's rough on the body for sure. Yeah, how how many or k's did it end up being? I think it was around seventy seven k's. Wow. And um, yeah, I'm not a runner. That was the most k's you know leading up to training. I didn't even ran seventy seven k's <laughs> like, in the year before. Yeah. So it was pretty wild. I felt like I probably supported myself quite well with like good nutrition. Yeah. Bro. Um, my partner was there, so when I was running. If it was at like four a.m. Uh, or like midnight, you know, should be cycling alongside yeah. me. Oh, cool. So I feel like if I was doing that by myself with no like support, that's that that's when the demons would sort of creep in. Yeah. But um, yeah, I was I was surrounded by by lots of good people, yeah. and the body held up miraculously somehow. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It's funny you say that, like that support that you had and stuff. There's I don't know why I think this way, but those thoughts that you have because I feel like everyone has them when you're working hard and. Um, I don't know, like you're doing that run and your mind tells you, just stop, bro. Like mm. you've done enough, bro. You've had a really good impact. You've helped um, this cause. Mm-hmm. Like I like that internal battle that I have with that age because mm. I believe that we have it every day, whether it's um, your choice of food that you're going to have, that mm-hmm. internal battle that your mind tells you, oh, it's okay to have that. It's mm-hmm. okay. And don't get me wrong, like I feel like you can eat what you want, everything in moderation is good. Mm-hmm. But the more you win that battle with that internal voice, mm. like you build... Um, what am I like to say? resilience, eh? Yeah, but you build like trust in yourself that yes, I can do that because you've proven to yourself time and time and time again, even if it's at the smallest of thing. But if you're beating that internal voice constantly every day and then every week and then every month, every year, mm. like you've proven to yourself that when that decision needs to be made and it's like an important time, like mm. you've got all of that pedigree of stuff that you've done beforehand to prove to yourself that that's the person that I am. Mm. I can do that sort of stuff, you know? Mm. 100%, bro. And when it comes to because a, a lot of a lot of the players that you meet with professional rugby players when they talk about you, you know the work ethic that you have around your training and your competitiveness is something which you know really stands out. Do you find that your training really helps you build the confidence for when you step out on the field as well? Like, do do you find confidence in your ability to play and perform because you know how hard you've pushed yourself in pre-season? In, in, in pre-season? Yeah, 100%. That's, that's exactly where I get confidence from. And it's not just the pre-season training, it's the work that I've done mm. maybe in that week as well that like, I know I've worked harder than these people. The result is going to be the result, but I've put myself in the best position I can be in in order to to play the best I can. And if I, if I win, cool. If I lose, cool. But I know within myself that the work I've done has given me the best opportunity to get the result mm, mm, so important eh? it is man. um and growing up as well you said you had a close friend that you guys you know were a bit of a tight knit you trained yeah. together worked really hard did you have any key individuals you mentioned your dad growing up who really believed in you yeah, my, both my parents really did believe in me um growing up they always said they just wanted me to be a good person. That's, mm. That was the main thing. Whatever I did in life, whether I was footy player, whether I was a real estate agent, whatever I was, just be a good person. Nice. And that gave me a lot of confidence to, to jump into things. Um, my cousin Byron, he's someone who's really inspired me and um, always had my back in whatever it is we did. And uh, my mate Teddy as well. Like he's, um, he's one of my best mates and the drive that we had to push each other uh, but then the confidence that we gave each other, each other um, through all life's endeavours is something that I'm really mm. um, grateful for. Mm. And then the – so you debuted for Super Rugby for the Hurricanes at 2000, in 2012. Yeah. Um, what was that process like for you, bro, just thinking <laughs> back, landing like – like landing Super Rugby, that's like for people who follow football and stuff. That's like the Premier League, right? It's the it's, it's the cream of the crop when it comes to professional rugby in the world. What was that feeling like when you first landed that contract with the Hurricanes? Yeah, it was awesome, mate. Like you grew up wanting to to achieve that, and then to to get that opportunity was um, it was really cool. And I remember that first year, um, I, I ended up debuting in South Africa against Cape Town but I wasn't supposed to go like um, they had a pre-season the Hurricanes had a pre-season game in 
I think it might have been like Topo or something mm. like that against the Chiefs. And I hadn't been named to play in that. And they were going to um, Topo, play that game, and then they were coming back and then going to South Africa the next day. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't in the, um, the squad to go to South Africa. And then one of our players, Chris Smiley, he tore his pick uh, in, the, in that game against the Chiefs. And so I ended up getting the call to be at the airport the next morning in Wellington so Crazy. I could fly to South Africa. And yeah, then from there, I just ended up getting a few opportunities and... Um, Played pretty well and then yeah, managed to, to keep that spot for a while. And you had a hat trick in your first game, was it? My first start. So first the start. one in, I played two in South Africa first off the bench, uh, and then my first start was against the Force. Uh, and yeah, ended up getting the hat trick. I think, like it sounds good, don't get me wrong, but I think my total carry meters in that game was like three meters. True. <laughs> yeah, like one of my tries. Um, Jules makes a big break down the middle of the field and gives me an offload like right next to the line. Yeah. I score. Next one is Corey Jane is like making a play in the corner and he's almost over the line and gives an offload and a yeah. fall over the line and score. And yeah. then the last one, I think it might be Bus again. Like he makes a split down the edge and kicks it and then kicks the ball back in field and then I end up getting the ball like right on the line. That's well. crazy. So like, yeah, it was cool to get three tries and that's what the headlines say and yeah, that's what people yeah, remember. Yeah. But I also know my total metres in that game was like three metres. That's so funny. <laughs> that's so humble as well that you'd even bring that up. That's <laughs> <laughs> so good. Um, yeah, would it... When you first land, and because obviously now you're the most cap- capped hurricane of all time, nah, which second is now. Jules, second. Jules is the Jules, most. Yeah, he, ah, went, he went up past me this year. Ah, yeah. yeah. Well, you'll be back in no time, bro. <laughs> um, with like lo- looking back on your career, when you first land into a squad like the Hurricanes, what sort of what sort of pressure is put on? you know, a young athlete at that age to to perform and do really well? Like, were you nervous going in? Or, or again, did you have the confidence that you could perform and play at that level? Yeah, I, I wasn't that nervous. Um, I don't know why. Like, I probably had a false sense of confidence, like, based on the work that I put in and that I always thought that I could outwork anyone and that would give me the result. I just really believed in that. And then our coaches at that time as well, remember Bodhi and I were, Bodhi had played the year before, um, but then that year we were a young nine and a young ten. Um, a lot of players in the Hurricanes had left, and um, there wasn't heaps of expectation on us. And then the coaches and uh, the leaders in the environment pretty much said to Baz and I, like, this, this is your guys' team. You can, um, you're gonna learn in that along the road, um, but be confident. And you're gonna make mistakes, but we're gonna back you guys. So mm-hmm. having that confidence from uh, people who had been in that environment uh, for so long. Um, was really good for both of us, I think. Mm. Um, the pressure from social media and that and um, the public probably isn't as great as it is today. today um, yeah. Like those things just weren't uh, around as much. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think when you're first playing, even social media or media, they give young players a lot of leeway at the start they hype them up they want they're like oh these guys could be the next big thing or whatever mm. and then it's but it's once you pass that being new stage that's mm. when people start to be like they want to bring you down they want um clickbait or they want a story and yeah. the, there's no like medium level in sport mm. um, in most careers in the world like your highs and lows aren't that far apart like but in rugby it's the same, like your highs and lows aren't that far apart, but it's magnified by media and by um, yeah, social media and people in the public who say if you play really good, they say, oh, he's a hero. Mm. But if you play like kind of bad, then they say, oh, he's the worst player in the world. Mm. There's no middle ground because it doesn't sell anything. People don't want to um, read in the paper, oh, TJ had, like he had an okay game. Yeah, and, you know, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Didn't do the most crazy thing in the world, but he was okay today. And they don't want to read, oh, TJ had a slightly off game. They mm. want to see, oh, TJ's the worst player. Like, he should leave. What is he doing? Or TJ's a superhero. He did all this stuff. That's what they're trying to sell. It's, it's the hot and cold, eh? It's like the, the polar opposites. There must be such a hard thing to come to come to grips with. Like, I just think about in my, in my job, in my profession, you know, if I have a shit week at work or a shit month or a shit, you know, two months, whatever yeah. that looks like, I haven't got people at NZ Herald <laughs> writing up and like fucking yeah. shaving me. Like, that's yeah. crazy. How did you, do Do you still remember like your first ever hater? Like, how do you, um, how do you, how do you, yeah, I'm real fascinated to hear how you manage 
maybe when things aren't going too well. Yeah. And there is, because I think the comments on social media, that's the worst one, eh? Yeah, I don't, like, I'm lucky enough that I, when I first came in, social media wasn't a big thing. Mm. So, like, we didn't have heaps of um, attacks in that space. Um, and so, I, like, I wasn't as invested in that then, therefore I'm not as invested in it now. True. Um, but I remember Lim, uh, Lima Supuanga, we were played yep. at the Lions together. Um, in our first, like, proper year with the Lions, I think we we almost got, like, relegated. And there's a media story about, oh, this young 9 and 10, like, never going to make it. Like, they're not going to be anything. There was hype on them coming out of school, but they're not going to be anything. And I remember that. Um, but I feel for the younger kids today who are mm. coming through because they've grown up with social media. So they yeah. might have even been in those comment sections when they were 13, 14, 15 years old. So that's a life that they're so invested in it's going to be hard for them to switch now, it off. Yeah, switch it off because mm. they've grown up in that space. Mm. Now that they're professional athletes, like that's part of their psyche. They they're used to either commenting on whether it's NBA or Super Rugby or the All Blacks mm. and making their opinion heard there. So they're gonna like part of them is going to be like, man, that's important. Like that's part of who I am now. That's somewhere where I think opinions are important or whatever. So mm. that's they're the people that I worry about a little bit more. Um, but we were lucky that we came in sort of on the cusp of that. Yeah, yeah, true, true. I think it makes sense, eh, because Instagram, social media wasn't really popping in 2012. No, eh? it wasn't, man. It was more just just media. Yeah. And, like, no disrespect to media, because I think they're important. Um, they're, they're good for selling our game. They're good for uh, bringing attendance and stuff like that, and even just having opinions on the game. But a lot of people in media don't know, mm. especially in rugby media. I can't speak for other sports, but... They don't know heaps about what's going on out mm. on the field. Back to what we said before, they're trying to sell stuff for their job because the more clicks they get, the better their piece does, the mm. better it is for them, the better it is for the company. And yeah. I get that element of it too. Yeah, it's crazy, eh? Um, there's also this weird dynamic. Like, you don't really have haters unless you've made it. Like, I had, <laughs> I had Guy Williams on the podcast. I was talking to him about it as well, and he was like, yeah, haters are one thing, but, you know, you'd rather sort of have haters than... You know, if you get to the point where you've got haters, you're probably doing something right you as are, well, bro. which yeah. is a funny dynamic with it all. Yeah. Well, in life, bro, every stage in life comes with a different problem. Mm. Um, and you can apply that to anything you're doing. If you don't make it in footy and you wanted to make it in footy, you're not going to have the problems of people like criticizing you or hyping you up or that problem. But if you, you're also not going to get the rewards that you get from being um, a footy player. And then mm. if you... You do make it, you get all of the, that downside of it. And that's, yeah, with anything in life, the next level you get to, it's going to come with more problems. Totally. Yeah, and different problems. But you earned those problems. And that's the way I look at it as well. The fact that I get um, some criticism and stuff from that from people, like I earned that through all of the hard work that I did. And that's, mm. like you don't know that when you're younger that you're signing up for that. But by being good at something, you earn the criticism from other people. You just need to know how to deal with that. That's a great take, eh? Mm. I had this um, young guy called Israel Whitley on the podcast. He's created, he's like 28, 29, he's created this company called um, ALH, Aotearoa Labour Hire. Um, I think they actually sponsor maybe the Moana um, Pacific team now. Oh, cool. But uh, I was talking to him, because he's you know young business owner and stuff, about pressure and the pressure he puts on himself. And mm. he said pressure is actually a privilege. And it's rather that pressure of shit am I gonna be able to pay you know get enough revenue in the door to pay the wages for all of my staff than having the pressure of not being able to pay rent for like you know the next week and stuff like that so you choose your hard bro choose your hard and that's that's in in anything whether it's health like people it can be hard with your health if um I don't know if you're unfit or if you're unhealthy if you're Mm. unhealthy um that's going to be hard for you or you can choose a healthier lifestyle which might contain more training or mm. better eating habits or whatever that is, and that's going to be hard. But that decision that you make, both of them are hard. One of them has a certain consequence, the other one has a certain consequence, mm. and we get to choose that. Yeah, you know? choose your heart, eh? I love that. That's really good. Um, mo- mo- moving it back to, uh, so your Super Rugby debut 2012, then you get your All Blacks call-up in 2014. Um, what Within the squad of the All Blacks, what were some of the... Who were some of the role models in the team when you first joined? Oh, we had some pretty good players, man. Because you were playing in the era of, like, DC, Dan Carter. Richie, was he? Yeah, bro, he was there. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Um, Comrade Smith, Ma'anonu, Jerome Gaynor, 
who else do we have? They're, bro, we had a really good team, really good team. I'm just thinking about all my like Weetbix cards yeah, as bro. a youngster. Well, all of these players were players that like I grew up being like, yeah. man, I want to be like that dude. I want to be like that dude. And my first ever camp, um, it was actually 2013 because I, I was selected in the team, but I didn't get to play um, that year. So my first camp was in Tauranga and my roomie was DC. And I was like buzzing out, bro. I was so scared. I didn't know what, like, what to do. I just wanted everything to be perfect. <laughs> and I remember going to the bathroom in the morning and like you get toiletry kits or whatever. You get all of your stuff and it's got like TJPs on my stuff. So, yeah. And so you would, whatever your name is, it's got your initials on it. Yeah. And I went into the bathroom and DC had like his, it was a boot bag. So we in footy, we often use our boot bags as our toiletry kit. Mm -hmm. um, so it was his boot bag and it had DC on it. <laughs> that's DC's bro and I remember bringing my boys afterwards and I was like bro he's got his own toiletry kit <laughs> yeah bro it was um, it was pretty crazy eh? and then those boys like they're, they're just all such good dudes man you mm -hmm. like you look at them when you're younger or you look at them if you don't know footy and you're like these guys must be like some different person they're a different being or whatever mm -hmm. but they're just dudes man and they um, they care the same as we care. They feel the same as we feel. Uh, and that was a really um, good eye-opener at a, at a young age that um, didn't matter. Like DC and Richie, for example, were probably the most well-known uh, rugby players mm. of all time. And even at that stage, we're still probably considered some of the best rugby players or probably the best rugby players to ever play the game. Yeah. And the fact that they were so down-to-earth with a 21-year-old dude, uh, it made me feel welcome. Um, like that's something that I tried to emulate for mm. for my career. And what's that presence like playing with them on the field? Like the, those leadership qualities that they portray, does that give you a sense of confidence and security as well while you're playing the game? You know, ha having someone like like Richie to sort of fall back on? Yeah, I think so. I think so. That's like you feel the mistakes that if I make a mistake – it's okay. Like we got mm. the bro there. He he can do that, and that like that comes through hard work from him as well. Not just his performances on the field, but how he trains every day, how he turns up every day, and that's I try and take some of that into my environments too. Because if there's going to be younger players coming in every year or new players coming in every year, and now that I've been around the while, like if I'm setting the standard on how you turn up, how you train, how you prepare, that's going to give these players the same confidence as I was given mm. and it allows those younger players to, to make mistakes and it's like it's sweet like mm. Teach backs me or Jules backs me mm. um, and they tell me to go and try these things out on the field and when I do it well they support me through it and they cheer for me and when they do it when I do it wrong they're the first ones who got my back and will help mm. me out through it mm. yeah that's amazing bro I remember hearing a story I forgot who it was um, it was a Ford and he was talking about a time where he was playing with Richie and um I think he he threw a he threw a wrong pass, and I think Richie afterwards in the game he he, he sort of put the blame back on himself. He was like, "Don't yeah. worry, bro, no, that I was think, my fault." I think I know the story you're talking about. I think it was Jipper James Parson. He yeah. threw a line out wrong. That's the one I'm talking he about. He threw a line out, and yep. then uh, Richie went up to him and said, "No, nah, that was my fault. Bad call." And I don't think it was Richie's fault. I think no. it ended up being Jipper's fault. And then after the game, Richie goes up to him and says, "Oh, like we'll go through this to help you through it." Mm. And I, like. That's that's what a leader does, bro. Mm. Like, it's how do I get the people around me to feel as good as they can feel right now, so that we can perform. Mm. And then if something does go wrong out on the field, like we we take that on our shoulders. We mm. don't let anyone else take that. But then afterwards, it's navigating the conversation to fix that, so that the next time that that doesn't happen, and not make the other person feel bad about mm. that. Just let them understand that in order for us to get to where we need to get to we all need to be able to do this and like, let's do it together. Totally. It's amazing, eh? And, and amazing to, to hear that story, just like the layers of thought that <laughs> goes into someone like Richie with um, the sort of leadership qualities that he portrays. Mm. Um, really keen to hear from you as well, bro. Like what are some of your biggest highlights when you look back on your career so far for the All Blacks? Ooh, um, like what moments really jump out to you? Yeah, as an All Black. As an All Black. My first game definitely is a big one for me. Um, I'd been named on the 23 the year before in Ireland um, and didn't end up getting on. It's the game where I think Ireland went up like 19-0 or something and we end up coming back and Cruden kicks the conversion in the corner. He missed the first one and oh, then he got to retake one. it. Yeah, yeah so yeah, that was yeah. the first time I got named in the team. 
um, to play. And my family had come over from New Zealand and stuff like that. So they ended up being in the stands and I didn't get on the field and it was like it was guttering. Um, but then to I debuted against England in Auckland the next year in the, I think it was the Steinlager series was what it was called then. And to do that um, at home with, with all my family there, that was a really cool moment. So that's mm. that's up there. That's that's probably number one for me. Um, we've had some pretty epic games, and like we've won a lot of games too. Uh, playing in South Africa is always a cool experience. There's a certain feel about their stadiums, like it's really close to the field, and they go like high, mm. and it feels like you're in some sort of. Um, how do I describe Coliseum it? Almost. Yeah, bro, almost <laughs> like that. Almost like that. Uh, where like you feel trapped and a lot of the fans do support us but a lot of them just they they love the box too and they they want you to lose and they're they're loud mm. and it feels intimidating and then straight after the game they're like your best friends because they just love the game of footy they're like true fanatics for the game of rugby mm. and will do anything while the game's going and then straight afterwards they're like supporting you whether they won or lost they want to say like congratulations for the game, which is cool. So wow, that's really yeah, cool. games in there over there are really cool. Um, and then that first one was pretty special. Yeah, and what about getting the call up to lead the hucker as well? Like that's got to be one of yeah. the big, biggest privileges oh, you know there is. Yeah, it is. It is a massive privilege for me to be able to do that, uh, especially leading Kamate. Mm. Like we're um, from Porirua and the hucker developed by um, Te Rau Paraha for Ngati Tour is that's. That's special for me. Um, I know, like this isn't my iwi, and I'm not uh, my whānau um, isn't from here, but it's the it's the land and the whenua that I mm. I was brought up on, and I feel uh, really attached to it here. So to be able to do that for our people here is um, something that I hold dear to my heart. That's massive, bro. Mm. Were you were you nervous before leading that haka? Like, what what was yeah. this, the the thought the thought process? Yeah, I was nervous. I pretty sure the first time I led the haka was in Argentina. Um, over there and like every other haka that I've been a part of it's, it's usually quite loud like people are loud when uh, when you lead the haka whether it's in New Zealand or in other parts of the world um, but it went silent like mm. in Argentina they're very quiet uh, when you when you do the haka and I was nervous for that bro because when I when I started getting into it and then I could only hear our team I was like, man, this is real, bro. Crazy. Yeah, but it was cool, man. I, I, I loved it, man. I loved it's it. amazing. Mm. What's the, how does that process work? Like, how do they identify the right person with the right mana, obviously, to, to lead the haka? How do they, how do they do that? How do they find the, the right people? Um, yeah, I think it, that identifying people with the right mana and people who um, have um, some form of connection to haka itself. Like, mm. being Māori definitely uh, is an important one. I know we've had people who, um, who aren't Māori lead the haka as well, and often they hold um, like such high level of mana within our environment, um, and that that's why uh, they're chosen to to do the haka or, or to lead our haka. Sorry, um, and the, like being good at it definitely helps too. Uh, a few of our um, uh, kaias in the past have been some some awesome um, awesome kaias, and their their level of expertise in that area is uh, is massive. And then like we have people who come in and help us um, with our haka and they'll often um, be like oh the bro he could he could lead a haka one day mm. or this guy he could lead a haka one day so when we're learning our haka and when people come in um, that will be identified early on and then once you're a part of that group it's like you start to work your way up and being in the team for a little bit longer um, helps as well mm. like we've got players in our environment now um, who I think could be leading the haka um, soon you got Reeks mm. uh, in there who um, I know he's He's never led the haka for the All Blacks, um, but the way he performs haka and how he applies himself when he's performing haka is pretty special, and I think he'll lead the haka one day too. That's awesome, bro. Mm. That's so powerful. And is it the coach that gives you, like, the little shoulder nod? Like, where does that... Who... Nah, nah. It's usually um, a guy, Matua Derek. Um, he will come in, shoulder tap people, and then our current kaya. So at the moment, it's Nuggie in the environment, mm. so he will be a part of this. If he doesn't play, he will be a part of being, like, to often the captain will be involved in this decision too, but being involved in who he thinks should lead the haka, and right. because he's currently leading the haka, he probably holds the most mana in that decision yeah. for who the next person is. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that's um that's really interesting. I've I've always wondered what the sort of internal process is yeah. for that. There's um, no like set um, black and white of how it's done. Like, yeah. there's a lot of conversation that's happened, and then um, people might have an opinion on who should or who shouldn't, and then that yeah. 
yeah, it's just not black and white. There's mm. it, it can happen different ways. Um, I was real keen as well, TJ, <laughs> to get your take on how like what is it that the All Blacks are doing differently in comparison to other teams in other countries to drive such high performance? What is it like inside the organisation that makes it so world class? Mm. Do you think there's some if you could like almost identify two to three things that you've found through your experience as an AB um, that you think, well, without giving too many secrets away, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that, that really sets the ABs apart to other countries around the world? I think our individuals in the environment is a big one. Like I think we have some of the best players in the world. Um, so you marry them together, um, you, pre- you create a pretty good team. I think um, like our coaching, um, our coaching staffs and our systems that we use are often based around the group we have. Mm. Um, and that, I think that magnifies the players within that group too. I know some environments in, in different sports, they have one system and that's the system. You either fit that or you don't. Mm. And sometimes it can feel like that, but often it's creating the best system for this group of players. And if we need to adjust things accordingly to the players that we have, we do that. And I imagine other teams um, probably do something similar, similar to that as mm. well. But I've found over the last, what, decade that our team has been um, probably the best at adapting to new laws in the game, um, mm. new ways of playing the game. Um, and I think you can see over the last couple of games, like, yes, our team got some um, slack last year, but the way we've adapted and transformed the way we play, uh, we want to play the game, mm. um, I think it's been pretty impressive. Mm, that's awesome. Um, when it comes to, like, the mindset that, you guys have is there much psychology that gets taught taught to the players within the All Blacks around I guess the psychology of the game um, and how to stay really mentally resilient is there do, do you guys have people within the All Blacks who might be psychologists or people to speak around the mental side of things yeah we do we have um, it's called mental skills <laughs> we have like presentations on that every week we have a group of players uh, and one of our management who's dedicated solely to that part of the game so we have an attack group a defensive group, line-out, scrum group, and they are like smaller groups that deliver messages back. And then our mental skills group is a big part of it as well, where they'll develop a message for that week, um, what we might be coming up against and how we should how we should deal with the um, struggles that we might face or mm. what this other team might bring. Um, and a big part of it is like how do we reset back to this task, like this job at hand. Because in sport... Good things happen, bad things happen, but the more consistent you can be and the more you can just be back onto this task, Mm. whatever that may be, whatever has already happened, happened, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Um, And that's a big part of it about where we try and drive our focus. And it can be hard because, like anything, that's repetitive because that's the crux of it. If you Mm. can just focus on this job at hand every single time, you're going to give yourself a pretty good chance. Yeah. But how do you deliver that message and shape that message differently so that the consumer isn't just hearing the same thing and then mm. that becomes tedious and then you don't want to hear that and then you lose sight of it. Mm. Um, so it's a really important group for us to be able to deliver that message in different ways. Mm. Yeah, that's so fascinating. Do you have any uh, like pre-match rituals, bro, like on match day? What usually goes through from like your morning routine, waking up to, you know, actually game time? Um, I don't have... Heaps. I used to only eat the same stuff every single time. True. And then the more I travelled around the world, the more that was hard to do. So mm-hmm. I didn't like having a strict set rule of what I needed to do. Um, I think a, one thing that I, well, two things that I probably do is I don't like to spend heaps of time with a lot of people. Like after, I'll usually have brunch with my family or breakfast with my family. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I just want my own time. I don't want to have any commitments to anyone. I don't want to catch up for coffee with people. I just like to chill and do my own mm. stuff. And that can look different what I do with that time, but I like it to be my own time. Mm. And then pre-game, I like to listen to J. Cole. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Any, <laughs> That's my only two things, really. Any uh, any tunes in particular that get you fired up? Oh, um yeah, my number one is probably No Role Models. That's yeah. one that I, yeah, I like to listen to that one. That's oh, a banger, man. eh? It is, bro, it is. I just, I like J. Cole. I like all of his music. Um, but No Role Models is something that, like, I feel that one, bro. Mm, fuck yeah. Um, do you have any morning routines at the moment as well? That's something I'm really fascinated 
about from certain individuals, you yeah. know. I think it's becoming a lot more common around people doing like cold plunges and yeah. saunas and stuff like that. But just keen to to hear if you've got any particular morning routine. Definitely different having kids. Yeah, yeah. yeah it is. Well, I, I'm quite selfish with like parts of my time, especially my routine, because I believe like if I can be selfish and give to myself, then I've got way more to give to everyone else. I can mm. be selfless. And if I'm not doing this stuff for me, I can't be the best father I can be for my daughter. I can't be the best husband. I can't be the best teammate. So like, I do take the mornings pretty seriously for me. Um, like uh, yoga is a big one that I cool. do in the morning. I have yoga in the morning. Uh, knees over toes is something that's in my yep. um, morning routine at the moment as well. Well, not now, um, but <laughs> when I'm not injured. Uh, and then yoga, uh, um, sauna and cold plunge as well. So like, I'll make sure that I do those things. Um, even if I don't end up doing a big training session that day, like if I can get that stuff done, mm. um, I know that I can give more to the people around me. Mm. And do you have the setups at home for like the sauna and the cold plunge? No, nah, I don't have that. But we've got it at our training base, so I'll just go in there in the mornings. It's nice. what fifteen minutes from home. Nice. Um, and I enjoy that time to get out as well. Mm. Like I feel like it's just me. I, um, it's almost part of that time where, how I said when I train by myself and that that I enjoy that. I enjoy getting away and I enjoy solitude to do my own stuff because, mm. um, yeah, it doesn't just make me better on the field. It makes me better as a person too. Mm. So important, eh? I was just talking yeah. um, to our last guest. Uh, I was at jiu-jitsu on Saturday and I was like, man, this is basically like church, you mm. know? Like this is a place where people are coming in. It's, it, it's so therapeutic, I think, mm. when you end up doing physical exercise or putting yourself, your body under pressure, the way that it just makes you feel afterwards to, you know, be a better father, be a better person, mm. smile at a stranger, you yeah. know, it's, um, it actually absolutely moves mountains, eh? Oh, it does, man. It's a, it's an investment in yourself. Mm. And if, if you're investing in yourself, like consistently every day, it doesn't have to be huge amounts, but whatever that investment is, if it's a positive investment in yourself, like you feel good about that, man. Mm. And if you feel good, like you're going to project that. If you feel shit, you're going to project that as well. So the only way, and if you're waiting for other people to make you feel better, that's so inconsistent because, mm. like, you might wake up one day and you feel shit, and then I'm relying on you to give me that, mm. like, lift, but you're feeding me, like, average energy, and I'm not investing into myself at all. Like, that's it's just not a good um, recipe for consistency. But if I know that uh, my cup filler is all based on me and how I do my stuff, then, like, I know over the a longer period, more mm. often than not, I'm going to be the better person that I can be. Mm, totally. Are there any players as well within the ABs or just through the Canes that you learn a lot from and look up to? Ooh. Um, yeah, Jules. Jules is definitely one of them. Um, like he's, he's had an amazing career and the way that he's come back um, to New Zealand, like a lot of people don't go overseas and come back and are their best selves. Mm. And, He's come back and he's played at such a high level and the criticism that Jules got um, before he was leaving and even the criticism that he got when he came back, um, I don't think a lot of people could have dealt with that. And mm. the way that he turns up every day and applies himself uh, is something that I admire. Um, Baz, like I, I learn a lot from him uh, when we're in the same environment together, the way that he sees the game, the way that he um, thinks about rugby. Um, the two probably... <laughs> um, that people wouldn't think that I would select like one's Tom Marshall mm -hmm. I think he's probably probably one of the top three players I've ever played with wow really like, yeah he is Why's special that? Um, just the way he sees the game unfold so not just the game he's playing right now but the way he sees the game going to be in the next six months the next year the mm. next year and a half like he's forward thinking everything he's looking at the games that are in um, I don't know England and France and New Zealand and he's trying to see a trend on mm. how things are going to end up being played he's like man we need to start applying these things now because it'll help us now but when the game changes to what the game's going to be like we should be playing this way mm. so and, and then his skill level and his um, like speed his fitness and that on top of that is like second to number like he's the man and then another player that I learn a lot from is uh, Matt Proctor mm -hmm. uh, mainly just for like the way that he apply, applies himself to each and every game and each and every moment. Like he's not the biggest dude going around, but he throws himself into every ruck, into every carry, into every tackle. Probably one of the most underappreciated players I think um, New Zealand rugby's had. He only ended up getting one test for the All Blacks. Um, but 
yeah, again, he'd be a top three player I reckon I played with her. That's awesome, bro. And that's so cool to hear, you know, someone with the accolades of yourself that you still are in that position where there's so there's so much talent, right, within the teams that yeah, you play in yeah, across, bro. you know, the Canes and the ABs that there's still people at the top of their game that, you know, you look up to and, yeah, um, and learn heaps from. Yeah, it's bro. super cool. Yeah. Um, also, the elephant in the room, you know, you've got a bit of a moon boot <laughs> yeah, going right. on there. Yeah. Um, so, ruptured Achilles, is that what happened against England? Yeah, bro. So, I ruptured against England in late November. I had the surgery, um, got it all fixed in that, and it just didn't heal right. Like, we, I ended up having this, another surgery about two weeks ago now, um, and the surgeon said, like, when he looked at it, the tendon looked fine. Mm. Like, it looked all good. It was like inside the tendon, mm. there was a little bit of imperfection, like almost like a divot in there. So they had to go in there and fix that a little bit. And it's just the way that it, it healed, unfortunately. Um, before I had the surgery, the second surgery, like, I was doing everything. I was doing, I was running, I was doing long distance running, I was doing um, all of my gym stuff. True. The only thing I couldn't do was, like, take my first step, like a, when you go to sprint, I couldn't accelerate off my left foot. It wouldn't mm. allow me to push off it. Once I was running, like I could get to high speeds and stuff, but that first step, and it's so important in rugby to have that Explosive first step. Yeah, man. Um, so we just had to go in and fix that bit up, um, and hopefully uh, that gets me right to, to play again. Yeah, bro. Um, and I, I think whenever you battle an injury, you know, we've both broken ankles before, yeah. <laughs> which is yeah. a nice. Um, but... I think especially for yourself as a professional rugby player, I found it really hard when I broke my ankle, especially, you know, I've got a young daughter myself and um, just it was more, rather than the physical side of things, it was more like the mental side of things mm. around actually taking your time to, you know, focus on your rehab, you know, on your rehab and knowing that you can't do the stuff where you would usually be able to do. I found that so incredibly sort of frustrating. Yeah. So... Yeah, keen keen to hear from you, bro. Like, how have you, how have you mentally dealt with a setback like a ruptured Achilles yeah. plus two surgeries? Yeah, bro. Um, you're right. It, it does suck, and it is frustrating. Um, I think what what I do, and I don't know how other people do it or whatever, but I allow myself to feel like that and mm, nice. to be like, bro, this is shit. Like, I hate that I can't be normal. I hate that I can't play, mm-hmm. and I give myself that. Like every day, if I need that every day and I need to feel that way every day, sweet, do that. But then it's like, what can I control? How do I invest into myself to make me feel better? It's not going to change that I feel this way completely. Like it still sucks. But if I'm doing my morning routine and I'm getting my body moving and like a a couple of my mates and I are uh, thinking about some other um, things in business as well, if I apply myself to these other places, Mm. it doesn't take away that this is shit, but it definitely makes me feel a lot better mm. about all of these other things in my life that I can control and that I can um, get some good out of and feel mm. good out of those things that allows me to deal with this thing that's currently shit in my life. Mm. Yeah. That's real nice, bro. And probably more so for you as well, like you'll probably find yourself with an injury. Um, I, I, maybe this may be how you might have felt like with your ankle, but your identity is a rugby player, right? Yeah. And then now, now you can't play. It's like, did you maybe perhaps earlier in your career, if you had a setback like this, it's like almost who who am I? Yeah, well, when I broke my ankle in um, that first year, 2012, I definitely felt like that. Mm. Like it was, it was a lot harder mentally back then um, than it is it is now because I was what 20 years old or True. something like that. 20 years old, I'd played. Awesome at schoolboy rugby towards the back end of my um, schoolboy career. Went straight into the Lions, played New Zealand 20s, um, played super rugby, had a like, really good super rugby season um, as well, and then I broke my ankle. So all of my like positive reinforcement had come from achievements that I'd had within rugby, and then like it just stopped. Mm. And the next dude was playing, and I was in, a, in what Brisbane for three weeks, um, doing nothing, then I come home and then I was out of the game for the rest of that year and I didn't have the same reinforcements that I was getting from rugby, from playing well, uh, Like that made me feel good and mm. I hadn't established anything about who I am really outside of the game because I invested so much into being a rugby player, um, so that was harder than it is now, like mm. now I'm a father, I'm a husband, um, I enjoy stuff outside of the game as well, I want to develop um, and be 
like, I see rugby as this current career, but I feel like I've got so much more time in mm. my life as well that for I can sure. have another career and be excellent and be the best in the world yeah. at that. And then probably enough time to for another career and be excellent and be the best mm. in the world at that. So having that mindset now where, yes, I still want to play rugby and I want to be um, the best in the world at it now, but I also know that while I'm injured, I can start to develop these other things that allow me to um, have a, a head start after I finish mm. playing the game so that this next career um, adventure that I want to get on, whatever that ends up being, I'm going to be awesome at that too. Mm. You know? Love that, bro. Yeah. So many opportunities, eh, with those sort of setbacks, eh, that... Oh, bro, heaps. Yeah, it can give you more time to invest into other areas of your life. Yeah, well, a big one is my daughter. Like, the first nine months of her life, I was away for like seven months of it. I mm. went to, we were in Aussie for the All Blacks first, um, so I wasn't with her for like eight weeks, and then um, her and my wife came over to Japan. Um, they were only there for four weeks though because COVID got really bad, and that's when we didn't really understand what COVID was, so they True. came home. Then I spent like five months over there by myself, or four and a half months there by myself. Then I came home for a bit, and then we went away again for the All Blacks. So all of that time spent away from my daughter, my relationship with her, wasn't fractured, but there just wasn't mm. a big one because she, I wasn't in her life heaps. I was, mm. She saw me on a phone more than she saw me in person. Fuck, that's hard. Yeah, it is, bro. It was awful. It was awful. Um, so this last what, year since I've been injured, I've been at home the whole time. So mm. my relationship with my baby is like, we're best of mates, bro. And I wouldn't have that unless I was injured. So yeah. yes, it sucks that I can't be out there and do what I want, but you can't put a price on that. Like mm. my daughter sees me every day and like our... I get to spend time with her every day that I had all of that taken away from me because I was playing the game of rugby, you know? Mm. So with everything, it's like what we said right at the start, everything has its problems. Whatever in the world you're doing... Choose your has, hard. It, choose your hard, bro. Yeah. And at the time when I was playing rugby, my hard was I was away from my family. At the moment now where I'm injured, my hard is I can't play rugby, but I get to be with my family. So mm. like it's all perspective and how you look at it. Eh? Mm. 100%, bro. 100%. Um yeah, shit, I never really thought about that because so, so many of the boys playing in the ABs, I'm good mates with Connor Garden Bashup as yep. well. He's got two twins. Yep, and, bro. you know, like the amount of time that you'll spend away from your family, oh, man. like there's that, that, that obviously it would take a toll on everyone that's got kids. Yeah. Um, but is that just one of the sacrifices of the game that you're right, choose your hard? It's, yeah. um, and obviously, stuff that your daughter, you know, when she grows up and fully understands, completely mm. understands the reality of the situation and how that's your job. Um, but those times must get incredibly hard, man, on the road, always traveling. Yeah, it, it does get hard, bro, especially now that I, I have a, a family in that. Mm. Um, it is hard. And that's what I don't like about people who comment on, um, like when we went away for the All Blacks through COVID and that, and we were saying, like, we shouldn't be away for this long without our families and stuff. Uh, we're away for 12 weeks, um, or I think it was like 15 weeks we ended mm. up being away for that we couldn't come home. Our families obviously couldn't come as well because of COVID and travelling yep. laws. Um, and then people would just say, oh, he's getting paid, he's getting paid. But yes, we do get paid, and we get paid good money to do what we do. But that doesn't take away that we're human and that I miss my daughter and that totally. her, my daughter misses her papa, you know. Like, they, they seem to think because we're footy players or we do a certain thing that we're not humans and that mm. we shouldn't feel the way that other humans should feel and that we should just be grateful that we have a job that pays us. And I am grateful for that. I'm not trying to say I'm not. I'm just saying I hurt just like you hurt. Mm. I hurt just like you hurt. Like mm. we all hurt the same and our daughters hurt the same. So like have a little bit of like mm. empathy for for human beings, mm. man, you know. And like the Warriors as well, eh? They had to basically oh, base themselves in Australia That's away it. from their family. And people were saying to them, like, what are you complaining about? You get to go and play rugby or you get, they say, yeah, you get to go and play rugby for a living and you get paid to do it. Like, what do you mean? Like, yeah. it's, life's hard when you don't get to, be, life's hard anyway. Like, totally. everyone's life and everyone has their problems. But if you can't be with your family because you need to provi like, provide for your family, mm. like, that's not easy. And for people to, just make sort of comments like that. I don't think that's that's right. No, totally. And I do think that people are allowed to have their comments on stuff, especially the way if I play shit and you say I play shit, cool, bro, that's footy. But if you say don't complain that you're away from your family, like yeah, that's that's, that's stupid, bro. That's not right. <laughs> yeah, what do you mean? That's not right. It's I've never, I've also <laughs> never met like one successful person who is in the comments like bagging someone else. Yeah, bro, yeah. Like you'll never meet a high achieving individual unless they have like a real shit time or, or whatever yeah but who takes time out of their day to write something negative about someone else yeah well, uh, often bro like 
people who win or winners don't like waste their time with that sort of shit. I know mm. KD jumps in the comment thread and that sometimes well, but like he's not doing that for. He's probably trolling. Yeah, it? bro. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. He he's not trying to bring other people down. No. Like people who bring other people down often aren't winning themselves. Mm. Like there's no point if you're a winner, bro. You you're not worried about other people no. winning because I'm a winner. Yeah. Like, you can win too. You can win too. All good. But mm. I just know when I go out there and if we're competing each, against each other, I'm going to win. Mm. So I don't need to bring you down in order to do that. You mm. know? Have you had much experience with like tall poppy syndrome as well? Like, yeah, yeah what's, your, what's your experience with that in, uh, in New Zealand? Um, well, it's, it's a constant thing, I reckon, in New Zealand. And it's not just personal experiences, but you can see it um, in most things. And it's... Like it's this, when you're new to it, like even with this, bro. When you're new to this, people will be like, "Yeah, bro, go and do that. Awesome, man, mm. go and do that, and support you when you're doing it." If this becomes like Joe Rogan um, level, those same people at the start who are saying, "Bro, go and do that," and like they're your best thing, they want to bring you back down because mm. it's like you've got that up there that they don't have. They mm. want to bring you back down so that they feel like better about themselves. Mm. And I don't get that, eh? Like, why do we support people at the start when they're on their journey, but then when they hit that thing, mm. like we want them to come back down. But mm. it just doesn't make much sense to mm. me. Eh? It's super strange, eh? And it's such a limiting, I, I, prob- I think that stops a lot of, and, and you see of so many young people as well, you mm. know, like y- young people don't start their business or don't start their podcast or don't go for that ambitious job or study that degree, whatever, wherever they are in their, in their choosing career or life. But I think they they stop doing that because they're scared of how other people will see them, and it's that like perception of success. And mm. it's such a weird. And you go to other cultures like in America, and you know Americans. One thing that you know I like about them, don't love the country that much or anything, but you, you know like they, they're really um, self self confident in their ability yeah. to do stuff, you know? Yeah. Like Well they hero their own as well. You yeah, know? they, they the want thing. their pe- like people around them to, to be good. And there will be people over there who don't. So with like mm. I'm not saying that all people are a certain way because we're not, but you're right. People won't try stuff because they feel if I get to that level that people will bring them down. But also if they don't achieve it, mm. then they're afraid that people are gonna say, Ah, I told you so. Mm. See bro, I told you so. You shouldn't have done that. Which is the worst advice, bro. I wonder what like what what can happen to to stop that. You probably need more <laughs> people just stamping it out and actually like addressing it and talking about it. But even like do you remember this as as like a going through primary school, like the amount of times people would say like try hard? Yeah, like you're good at something. You're a try, you're a try hard. hard, yeah. yeah. and I don't think it ever stops because you're gonna have winners and you're gonna have people and I'd use winners and losers because um, it's an easy term to use. I'm not calling people winners and calling people losers, but you're going to have people in those categories. And if this side is going up and this side is not, they're always going to try and bring them down. And mm. the world is, we're always going to have that. That's just mm. the way it is. So I don't see it stopping, um, which is thing. But like, I I just want to empower all people in both camps. Like I don't care what you own. Like, like just try stuff, man. Mm, try totally, it. bro. Um, yeah, such a weird saying, eh? Like, <laughs> trying too hard. Yeah, what do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? I'm supposed to try hard, aren't exactly. I? Exactly. Yeah. That's weird. Um, I've got a few more questions here as well, bro. And I've um, went out to some of the listeners and I've uh, got some questions as well for you. Yeah, sweet, bro. Um, <laughs> I think we might have covered it, but what would the general public not be aware of about being an all black? Um, um, yeah, I probably did cover it like we're we're human bro we Mm. we hurt the way um that everyone else hurts we feel the way that everyone else feels and um just because we do something that and we're very privileged to do what we do like we get paid good money to go out there and play rugby Mm. um but that doesn't mean we're not human beings Mm. bro like Yes, have your comment about how I played the game. If you support me, cool. Thank you for supporting me. If you don't and you think I'm shit, cool. That's fine. But, like, don't comment on who I am as a person if you don't know me. Don't mm. comment on my family and stuff like that. That's that's why I don't think mm. um, people understand. It's crossing the line, eh? I think so, yeah. Good thing for people to, um, to remember. <laughs> um, cool. We have a question from Fitzy. Um, what's the biggest hurdle you've had to overcome as an adult? Um, being away from my family for for that amount of time, um, mm. that was the hardest thing that I've been through. Like this injury compared to that, 
nothing, eh? So mm. um, having to, um, yeah, deal with being away from them for so long, um, deal with, like, coming back and seeing my daughter and her not really knowing who I was, like, mm. having to deal with those emotions, I reckon, is the, the biggest hurdle. Mm. Um, this is another one from Fitzy. Uh, what's planned for life after rugby? Um, I don't know completely yet. Um, I will be good at it, whatever it is I choose to do. Um, and I will, um, yeah, I will do something that's impactful and that people don't just look at me later on in life and be like, oh, TJ Pedernado was an all black. Mm. Like, I will be something else and be at such a high level that being an all black won't define my life. Like, I will be really good at this other thing that mm. I do as well. Yeah. That's me, bro. I like that. Um, thoughts on Paraplim becoming the dominant northern <laughs> suburb club? Who was that Daniel. one? <laughs> who was that? Daniel who, bro? Uh, Daniel Webster. <laughs> ah, sweet. Um, yeah, it's all good, bro. Like, we're, we're all from Portidor, man. So to see uh, another Portidor team um, succeed is, is good for Portidor. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, the, the team couldn't get over the line yesterday. Uh, Ori's had a, an awesome game, and congrats to the Ori's for that. Um, but I see a lot of hate again between people from a, a similar area. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it, it's, it is what it is. Uh, before you die, what is one thing you'd like to accomplish? Ooh, one thing I'd like to accomplish. I'd like to run um, a marathon. A marathon Oosh. would be cool. I wouldn't mind doing one of those ultra marathons as well. Yeah, like, man. Yeah, that'd be you should cool, jump bro. on the uh, Queenstown Marathon, bro. Got yeah. my, my first one in November. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, yeah, awesome, yeah. bro. I don't know if I'll be ready for, for yeah, it by oh, then. <laughs> on the crutches. Bro. Yeah, bro. But at some point, bro, I'd love to, to do something like that. Eh? Man. Man, are you much of a runner when you when you? I do run a bit, yeah, yeah. yeah. I um, in season I'll run post game. I do um, a thing called ten of the best, so I always run ten k's after a game, and then in the off season ten k after a game. Yeah, after a game, I enjoy it. Eh? Wow, um, yeah, I, I like it for one, well, three reasons probably. The reason that I feel like someone else isn't doing it. Um, two, it's good for my conditioning base, and three, like running for my mind is mm. really good, bro. You get to a point where it's hard and you're fighting through it. You're having that internal dialogue mm-hmm. with yourself and you beat that person mm-hmm. is good for you as well. And then you get to like this place of like nothing. So mm-hmm. you're tired, but you fought through that and then you're just not thinking, but mm. it's, it's good, man. Mm. Um, I was following uh, Ned Brockman. Don't know if you no, heard no. of him. Fuck. He's um young Aussie guy. Must be like 20, 24. Is he the one that did that big uh, run? Ran from Perth I to Sydney, bro. Do know the guy you're talking about? Fucking yeah, bro. That hell. is crazy, man. Trying to, it was averaging um, almost like 100k a day. That is nuts, bro. That is, that is fucking nuts. wild. Yeah. And um, yeah, just like he, like when he was doing it, he would do like an Instagram post every single night mm. and just like reflect the day. But someone that's not even a runner. Well, he's obviously a runner now. He but sure like, is. <laughs> dude, he's like a, sp- he's like a tradie. And he's that's just like, I've got to do this. Bro. Took yeah. him like 49 days or something. Yeah, see, that's crazy. I love that, man. I love that. And like what he gained from that mentally will be like that'll pay dividends the oh, rest of his life. Because he was able to fight that, that battle that he's having with himself in his head and still get up and do the thing that was hard. Bro. Yeah. Every single day for 49 days. And that's a massive scale he did that on. Insane. When he comes across that, same thing in life And it won't be with running But it could be with any decision He has to make That it's hard for him And it's an internal battle mm. He will win that more often mm. Than not bro 100% um, Cool We'll move to some Quick fire questions okay. um, But before we go Where can people Stay in touch with you And your mahi bro um, Just on my Instagram Or on TikTok bro Is uh, where we Where I do most of my stuff Where uh, we'll be launching a website and some new TikToks and Instagrams in the future for our business that we're sort of starting to start now. Um, so just, yeah, keep tabs on that. Man, yeah, we'll chuck um, some links in the description, whether cool. you're listening or watching this potty. Um, TJ, what brings you true happiness? Uh, my family brings me true happiness. When I can um, spend time with them, bro, it's the, it's the best. Advice you wish you knew about when you were younger? Oh, understand money. Understand money. Like we we don't get taught about that at um, at a young age. Where I don't know about you. Sorry, this is quick fire. But when you oh, were yeah. young, or when I was young, speaking about money was like, oh no, don't ask people how much they earn. Don't mm. ask people what they do with their money. So we never were taught financial literacy, which totally. is something that I wish I was taught when I was younger. Hard out, bro. It's it's so true, and it's funny. So having this young my mate the other day, you can see like oh, I'm starting to you know, I'm I'm 25 now. I'm starting to see from my friends. 
how they've got to how they are around money because of their parents. Mm. And we didn't get taught that sort of stuff at school either, but you can tell, you know, what friends might be a bit more like sort of frugal or yep. just their relationship with money well, yeah, can exactly be totally right, different because yeah. their upbringing. Yep, yeah. I agree with you, bro. Yeah, and I feel like it's something that we should be taught in school. Mm. Everyone should understand 100%. how money works and what money is. Like yeah. it's not just this thing you use to buy stuff. It's how do you make money work for you and mm. like the fact that we don't have that... Um, taught to us as kids mm. like just blows my mind so stuff like sharesies is real cool eh? it oh, just makes bro. it so much more accessible yeah man yeah, yeah. Um, what does legacy mean to you um, what the word or like my legacy your legacy um, my legacy to me means like being a good person like if I'm known if, if when I die people say that I was a good person that I was a good father and a good husband I don't care what else in life I did if you could change one thing in New Zealand what would this be and why um, tall poppy syndrome be a big one yeah and the reason I would change that is because like everyone can win there's enough out there for all of us so like I don't need to bring someone down in order for me to win you don't need to bring someone down in order for you to win like we can all win bro mm. what do you believe is the main thing that's holding back young people in New Zealand other people's opinions nice. like caring too much about that Cool, and we'll uh, wrap up with a bit of a quote from uh, the GOAT, Michael Jordan. I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. TJ, thank you, brother. Thank you.